I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with another installment of the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol, featuring interior designer Laura Hodges. Laura Hodges is the founder and principal designer behind the DC Baltimore based Laura Hodges Studio. Laura has a unique design perspective, influenced by her Norwegian grandmother, British mother, and Jamaican father. All these influences mix and blend international ideas with her own love of travel and the experience that comes from visiting iconic design destinations. Laura has degrees in business, interior design, lead accreditation for practicing sustainable design, and owns Domain by Laura Hodges Studio, a brick-and-mortar showroom where she can visually merchandise a space that is constantly changing while applying her chosen course of study. As with every installment of the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series, the objective is to bring you different perspectives from a variety of creators. This is no exception. This is designer Laura Hodges. By now, you have heard me telling you about our Convo by Design 2022 Remote Design House Tulsa project. I am so excited to begin finally sharing information about this with you, this idea house. And by the time you hear this, at least two spaces are well into install, and another two are in pre-design. They will be published and shared with you as they're completed. At that time, you will also get the chance to see how each room comes together, hear from the designers, hear about the process, and see the finished product, as well as the before and during snapshots as well as the finished photography. So now is a great time to make sure you are subscribing to the podcast. You can find Convo by Design everywhere you get your favorite podcast. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zenger, a progressive brand that was built on a promise to provide designers, architects, and homeowners with the right materials to do their best work. That promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But it's more than that. Walker Zanger believes strongly in serving the trade with a trade program that makes the specifying process simple and easy with the support you need. They have been staunch supporters of the trade since 1952. In 2020, I launched a partnership series with Walker Zanger called The Showroom. These intimate interview series conversations showcase some of the best creatives in the business. And if you want to check them out, please go back through the podcast catalog and find any episode entitled The Showroom so you can hear these amazing conversations. And if you haven't stopped by a Walker Zanger showroom lately, you're missing out and you need to go check them out. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can possibly imagine or create. So check out any of their showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. Tell me something. You're, yes. you're in D.C., Baltimore. Correct. Right. And you've worked in Texas. You've worked around the country. When I, I, always, I always like to go back to the origin story. You know, you, you grew up across the pond. As we say, well, I was born, born, you were born and, there. Uh, so when did you move here? I moved here when I was five and we moved, we, but we'd okay. go back every summer and my grandparents lived in England. So we'd always go back to the same small town and I had friends and family there. So it was still a very big part of my childhood. We spent our summers there. 
Well, and that's where I was going with it is, mm-hmm. is kind of like the, the influence, you know, it's so, I always get amused when talking to people here about architecture and design. And we talk about, you know, the rich history of American design. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, it's all relative, right? It's, it's it all, it's, it's all context. Absolutely relative. Yes. Old things in this country are brand new. Most other places. Yeah. Except yeah. For Australia. Australia is new too. <laughs> Right, exactly. And so I, I'm interested to know sort of how, how that return, so where, you know, your, your country of origin, but, and especially going back as you grew up, and then at some point you decided that, you know, you wanted to follow your creative instincts and get into design. And so I'm, right. I'm curious how that impacts and influences um, your design now. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, originally I was born in England, Northern England, and um, we spent many, many summers going back and we'd also go to France as well because it's so close. Um, And what was wonderful about growing up, um, going back to England all the time was that we did, you know, see lots and lots of different architecture, uh, very old architecture, whether it was castles and old churches and that sort of thing. And as a kid, I, I have to admit, it's not exactly how you want to necessarily spend your summers as being dragged from old castle to old church to old castle to old church. I guess a little old, uh, quite literally. Literally. Um, uh, but, you know, but you can't help but be enamored by it to some extent. I mean, after like the 10th one, you're over it, you know, but at first it's really amazing and it's, it's awe-inspiring because they're huge and they're very impressive and it's really interesting and so different than obviously what we see in this country. You just don't see stuff like that on at all. Like, you know, you're walking through Italy, you're just seeing that stuff all day long. You probably get, you know, used to it. Um, <clears throat> but here, obviously, we don't really have anything that's really, really that old. And so, um, yeah, it definitely affected me. And my grandparents, uh, we used to live next door to them when we did live in England. And they had these, my grandma, my grandparents still had this old Victorian home and the the same one that we had because it was a row home. And so, you know, still growing up, going back to that home all the time with its, you know, nine, 10 foot ceilings and the cold cellar and, you know, the massive big windows and, you know, the architecture of the house itself was gorgeous. I've always still loved when you stand at the bottom of the stairs on the first floor and can look up through the banister all the way up to the third floor. It's just always been like a dream of mine to have a house where I could do that and I don't have that and it's fine I have we can see to the second floor um close enough but in general I always thought that that kind of that kind of thoughtfulness of design I think was always um interesting to me and was never lost on me even as a kid of like the fact that you could even if you're just yelling all the way upstairs <laughs> to the third floor it's just kind of fun you know and the steep steps and the fact that the house itself had so much character even before you put in furniture into it it was just beautifully designed beautifully laid out all the rooms were so thoughtfully designed and same thing with all the castles and the churches and old buildings that we used to go to as well yeah so are are you able I'm rephrasing the question because the, the, you know, one of the true signs of a great designer is that of course you're able to, it's sort of a matter of how are you able to, to take those things that you really love to do. And I want to get into, you sort of have a, I don't want to call it a signature style or a signature aesthetic. And I, and I learned this a long time ago, 
when I first started doing the podcast and I, I have a hard time going back and looking rather listening to my first episodes, the first year or two, because I would ask this question and of designers, I would, you know, it would always come up eventually. I would ask, so what is your, you know, what is your signature style thinking that you have to have like this thing that makes you as a designer, as a creative, who you are. And I learned over time, it's not that you have a signature style or a signature aesthetic, but you have a fingerprint. You, you have sort of your creative DNA that will find its way into your work, regardless of the style that you're working on, regardless of the color palette that the client has expressed that they want, to, they want you to incorporate. It just always winds up there. And it, sometimes it's more pronounced than other times. And I'm interested to know where you think those those fingerprints where those those that dna lies well it's interesting that you say that because just yesterday i was thinking that about a project that we have um it's actually on our website it's the baltimore loft project and it's all very white and beautiful and pristine and lovely and everything is just in its place and it's modern and it's very clean aesthetic um well coincidentally we've also worked on an, on a condo that's one floor up uh, from this same condo in the same building, completely different clients. And it is like almost the inverse of this building. So it's all dark and moody and colorful and full of like really um, moody, but also really interesting and unique art. And it's just a completely different look. Um, and yet I love both of them. I think that they're both really interesting, you know, and we, we enjoyed working on both of them. And yet you really wouldn't say for one second that they were similar <laughs> at all. <laughs> they're very far from being similar. But what they do have in common is what you were referring to, which is that fingerprint, I believe, of a tailored, um, clean look where everything is thoughtful and everything is an in, is intentional and everything has been considered and you know the colors that you're seeing work for that space because of the light that's coming into this space and because of the other architectural pieces that we have so you know the, the one condo has all new wood floors and white walls and lots and lots of light coming in and the other one has a lot less light coming in because the windows are small. It has all reclaimed floors and reclaimed wood um, columns and ceiling. And it has, you know, in, in more of an industrial vibe, um, which is within the architecture. And so the way we treated the space is more reflective of the architecture of that space versus the other space. And so, but they still both feel like we took the time to really consider those details. And even though there's two different, two very different clients, with two very different, you know, styles and aesthetics that they have. We still were able to, um, I think, listen to both of them and achieve a look that they're both happy with, even though they could not be further from each other in terms of, you know, the feel of them. Um, but they, they both are, um, they both have incorporated both modern pieces and vintage pieces. They both are respectful of the natural light that's coming in and respectful of how it changes throughout the day and how the clients want to live in the space. And, you know, the, neither of them, you know, are particularly overly traditional. So I'd say that the overall design aesthetic definitely, you know, probably is like anything 1930s and beyond, you know, so, you know, there's, vintage, but not necessarily antique pieces in both properties. 
I, I want to kind of drill down on that last statement, vintage, but not antique. And right, so I, technically, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, yeah, technically antique is um, over 100 years old. So, um, you know, we any anything, and these days I sort of feel like vintage is anything that just is already, you know, even something you bought yesterday is now vintage because, you know, there's so many websites that sell things and say that they're vintage. So it's just anything that's secondhand at this point is considered vintage, I feel like. Okay, well, it's funny because I was going to ask you about that if you were going by the literal sense, because I mean, look, let's be, it's so, it's so fascinating to me. And this is one of the, I find every time I speak with a, with a new designer or architect, I find sort of new reasons why there is such a tremendous value in designers and working with a designer or working with an architect. Um, it, it's, it's this element of like, you talk about the difference between vintage and antique. There are things that are over a hundred years old that were, were crap then and they're crap now, you know, just cause yes. something's old doesn't mean it's good. And yeah. I think, you know, sometimes you, you get people who take the idea of, of the edit and layering and old and new and, you know, transitionally blending too literally and think, okay, well, this is old, so I can just match it with something from Ikea and there I've got design and you <laughs> laugh, but we've, we've both seen it. Yeah, I, yeah. I think, and that's why, you know, one of the things that I, I started doing a, a long time ago with these interviews is, you know, these aren't Q and A's, you know, these are like the conversations that lead to, to sort of the, the inner workings of the way that you work as a creative. And I have found that so many people are, so many creatives that I talk to are just so different in the way that they work and the way that they operate. And for you, I, I kind of wanted to, to follow up on, on one thing in particular. I find this very interesting because you, you worked with Jamie Drake and Thomas Jane and both, you know, incredibly talented, very skilled. And I wanted to ask you about that because I was talking to Bunny Williams not too long ago, specifically about her and the mentorship program that, that she has in her firm. And I think in design and, and architecture, it's, it's so valuable to have that experience and to learn from others who have accomplished at such a high level. What did that do for you? Well, I mean, I did go to design school, but I would say that coming out of design school, it is, um, I mean, you can do, you can learn about these things all day long, but it's not until you're actually, it's a trade. I believe, I do believe that it's fully a trade is an experience-based industry. And, you know, you can go to school all day long, but it doesn't really mean that you know how to do the work um, and that you, you don't necessarily know how to interact with clients. You don't necessarily know how to run a business. You don't necessarily understand the project management side of things. And then just the, just the subtlety of actually designing something. There isn't like a right or wrong in every situation. And you can't refer to the book and say, well, what would they have done, you know, a hundred years ago? I mean, a lot of it is, you know, and also you have to take into account your client's taste. Right. And so that's, that's something you know, we can come up in school, you know, you come up with your client, you come up with your ideal client, you design around whoever this ideal client is, but they don't give you any feedback, not really. So <laughs> there's very different actually 
being in an actual office and working with somebody who's really working on a real project with real people, with real feedback and real budgets, you, I absolutely felt like that was absolutely something I had to do before I would ever work on my own because I did not want to, um, you know, cut, sort of cut my teeth with an actual design project. I mean, I just felt like that was not only wrong for the client, but also not even the right way for me to do things. I like to go into it knowing that I understand how to do a project and I understand how to deal with the client. So working with both Jamie and Thomas was, was um, absolutely invaluable to me because, you know, working with their senior design staff um, and working with them directly, there's just so much to learn. There's so much to glean out of every moment, out of every interaction with them. And uh, obviously working with them meant you had access to all of the best showrooms, all of the best furniture companies, and you could really see the best of the best. And it's not like every single client is going to be that amazing, you know, huge project, but you get to see the very, very best. And then, you know, you have a better idea for how to sort of try to achieve that. Even when you have a project, that's nowhere near what that's ever going to be. Do you know what I mean? It's, for me, it was really important to see the very, very best of everything so that I can, I can bring that to every project that I work on. So when did you realize that you had learned, you never learn enough, right? But when did you realize that it was time for you to go out on your own? Um, I think there's, I've always sort of had an entrepreneurial spirit, if you will. I've, I've never really had a job and thought this is where I'm going to stay for the next 20 years. You know, I, whenever I, even I used to work in marketing at some point as well, prior to going back to design school. And even when I was doing that, it always felt like a, I'm going to do this until I figure out what I'm really going to do. You know, it was always sort of just a, well, I have to pay the bills and I'm good at this and I like it. And I enjoy the camaraderie of my colleagues and that sort of thing. Um, and it was the same thing with design. It was like, I, I need to work with other people. I, I'm not in the position to do this on my own yet. And I need to learn from others. And it's very much a trade in that you learn so much more about the subtlety of design and the ins and outs of running a project and that sort of thing from other people. So in actuality, I didn't have that moment. I, I left my job because I had my first son and we wanted to live. Um, I wanted to stay home and, and raise him. But then we also decided to move to Maryland from New York because my family lives down here. So it really wasn't a conscious decision of, you know, I've gained enough, enough you know, um, experience and knowledge. I'm going to leave now. It was really more like life kind of came along and said, hey, this is what's going to happen. And <laughs> I mean, I did get married. I mean, it wasn't like it was out of the blue or anything, but um, we did think, okay, let's start a family now. And I knew I wanted to stay home. It was just always something that I'd wanted to do. And so it really was more like once I had both of my children and my youngest was about three or four that I started to think now could be a good time to sort of get back into it. I always knew I wanted to, I just didn't know when. It was a case of when did I feel confident enough to say, I felt like I was, I felt confident with the level of work that I could do and with my ability to run a project and that sort of thing. But it's not like I just opened my doors and started taking on, you know, only top projects and, you know, hired everybody. And, you know, it's, it's a very, very 
small step process um, for me, at least. You know, I started part time at first when my child, my youngest, was in preschool. I literally had 15 hours a week that he was in preschool. And then the rest of the time I'd work evenings and weekends until I, you know, had more time when he was actually in school full time in elementary school. Then I was able to really go full time. How have the last 18 months changed the way that you do what you do? Um, it's made me be even more grateful, I think, for the opportunity to do what we do, because it's very much, I wouldn't say it was a wake up call by any means. I've always understood that what we do is a luxury and that we are lucky to be able to do something that brings us joy and that brings our clients joy and that, you know, Every, you know, obviously you need the budget to be able to do these sorts of projects that we work on. And so we're lucky to be able to have the clients that have the budget and that they trust us and that we all kind of, you know, can work on something amazing together. <clears throat> but I would say that this past 18 months has really made me realize that it really is such um, a wonderful thing to be able to have something that you know you're good at. Well, that you enjoy doing and that you're good at doing and that you can help others to do, you know, to, to make the home that they want to have and to have staff around that can, you know, be part of that project with you and that they can enjoy what they're doing. Um, honestly, it really is just that gratefulness to be able to be in a position because there's so many people that have changed careers or thought, well, I don't want to do this anymore. What else can I do? And so I think there's a lot of people who are sort of, you know, figuring out where they want to be in the world and what they want to do with their lives. And I'm, I'm just glad that it's sort of like we were able to stay in it and thrive in it and keep going um, because a lot of people obviously are, are at home and they're then definitely considering renovations or they're moving it's just been such a home-centric year and a half for people. You are listening to my conversation with designer Laura Hodges. More with Laura in just a moment. I know you love talking about great partnerships the same way I do. Let me tell you about an incredible design partner who is working with us on the Convo by Design Remote Design House Tulsa project, Franz Wigner. A company created in 1899 in Attendorn, Germany. They started manufacturing brass beer taps in 1921, the company expanded to Buenos Aires, manufacturing brass faucetry. The company launched in the U.S. in 1992, and Franz Wigner Premium Collection began in 2008. Franz Wigner crafts high-quality premium faucets with the objective to create a design-oriented luxury product that exceeds the standards set by world-class designers and architects. Pretty heady stuff, and they do it. If you see a Franz Wigner faucet, it is stunning. You use Franz Wigner faucets and they perform flawlessly. Product you can depend on after over 120 years designing a truly stunning faucet line. For more information and to check out the entire line of faucets, visit franzwigner.com. So I'm going to spell it for you, right? <laughs> F-R-A-N-Z-V-I-E-G-E-N-E-R.com. Thank you, Franz Wigner. Now back to my chat with designer... Laura Hodges. I want to challenge one of those ideas. And that is, um, you said that, that design is a luxury. Mm. And it's not that I don't think that's true. It's that I don't think that that's true anymore. And I think it's been a really trying time. 
<clears throat> excuse me, it's been a really trying time for everyone the last 18 months. And specifically, I think it was shocking that the vast majority of people found out that their homes don't work. That, you know, over time, if you keep following every trend du jour, you know, open concept, great. But if you've got one person working over here and another person trying to give a report for their class live over here and someone making dinner over here, you know what? Those three ideas do not are not compatible at the same time. And that's a design flaw, right? That's a design flaw in the, in the machine that is the house, that is a residential dwelling. It, it, if it doesn't work, then it's a flaw. And I think that if you have a, a fundamental flaw like that, and that's not to say that there isn't remarkable architecture that doesn't necessarily cost a lot, you know, a, a, a traditional, you know, Eastern Foursquare, it works, right? Well, but so I should probably clarify. I didn't really actually mean luxury in terms of budget. I meant luxury in terms of, I enjoy design. I love design. But in terms of the hierarchy of needs, we don't deal with, I don't personally, we don't as a company deal with safety necessarily. We don't right. deal with health. So I would say, you know, in the past year and a half, it's been so focused on safety and health. And we don't deal with those things. We, you know, it's like once you once you're safe and once you're healthy, then you can start to look at your environment and make sure that it's working for you. Right. And yeah, so I guess yeah. I think of it as a luxury in that. I, I would love for every, I think everybody should have access to beautiful design. And I don't think that, um, you know, you can have a beautifully designed hut, to be honest with you. I mean, I love traveling and I love going all around to different communities. And, you know, I went and stayed, um, had dinner <laughs> with this Berber family in Morocco once when we, we did, I did a tour um, there when I was in my early 20s. And it was a beautiful, beautiful home. There was nothing in it. <laughs> they, hadn't, they, had, they had so little. And yet it was just still a beautiful home and it worked really well for them. And they didn't have, you know, all the furniture and all this kind of stuff that we had, but it was a beautiful home. And so, yeah, to me, luxury is more like um, the fact that I'm able to do something that I love doing and that we're able to make sure that people's homes do work for them, which I think is, I still kind of think, I, I guess I think of it as a luxury because it's not one of the pr like primary things that keeps you alive. It doesn't keep you healthy. It doesn't keep you safe, um, but it does improve your life. And it, it improves everything, it improves your productivity. It can improve your wellness. I'm absolutely all about all those things and, and the way that we do our work as well. Yeah, well, it's interesting. And I wanna, I wanna be clear, I wasn't, I'm not challenging you and, and your thoughts on the idea. I'm challenging the idea because I think you're right. I think most people view a designer as a luxury. I don't view a designer as a luxury. I think that a designer is as important as a real estate agent. I think that real estate agents, for, for people who are going to buy a new house, who are moving someplace, whether it's a city that they know they grew up there, or it's a city that they're relocating to, I think you find the right real estate agent, your chances of finding a, a home that you're going to be happy with, the, the percentages go up big time. I think that having a designer come in and tell you, you know, if you want to change, if you, think, if you find that something isn't working or that you want to change or that it's new and you want to structure it a certain way around you, to have a designer come in, 
it's a big value. It's a huge value. It's a, it's, it's really important the same way that if you're going to change the structural integrity of a, of a dwelling, you should probably consider an architect. You should have an architect working on that. And a lot of people think, well, you know, it's too much trouble. I can do it on my own. My aunt has pretty good style and she's on Instagram. <laughs> um, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. And I think that one of these things that design, you know, some of the things that designers do is just so important. I was, I was having a conversation earlier today. It was one of those Facebook conversations with a designer um, who had basically said, my client, you know, after the cabinetry was ordered, they were on Instagram or Facebook or they were on socials and saw a picture of, a, of an accent in a corner on a cabinet. And that's what they had to have. And the designer was like, Cabinets have been ordered <laughs> and they were freaking out a little bit. And I, I think that, you know, where I'm going with this, I, you know, it may look like I'm meandering, but I think what's really mm -hmm. interesting is design is a business. And if you were a lawyer and someone came in and said they wanted you to draw up a contract and you drew up a contract and then they came back later and said, I heard from this friend of mine who wants a contract not to buy a building, but to buy a company. That's a different product. I've right. you're paying you're paying for this because I did the work on this. Right. Now you're going to pay for that because it's a different if you're different it's a different project. Right. And I think also that you know because social media is is so prolific in everything that we do that it's it's sort of changed the way that designers work. And I'm where I'm going with this is you, you know you have sort of this you have you have domain, right. so you have this showroom aspect. And so you're, you're a tastemaker too. You're, you're selecting product. You're also a designer. You're crafting the, the desires of your clients. And I think that there's this sweet spot where, where the two meet, where there's tremendous value in what designers do. And that was sort of the connection with the, you know, with the value of mm -hmm. designers and sort of where I was going with, you know, over the last 18 months, you know, I, I think it's interesting how you feel. I'm also interested to know how it's manifest itself from a business perspective and what clients are asking you for now that maybe they weren't asking you for two years ago. Right. Well, definitely our clients um, initially all sort of, you know, had the same feeling that we all have, you know, last March of, uh oh, how's this all going to shake out? How's this going to work? So there's a little bit of worry at first. Um, we did have some projects that were already you know, in, in the mix kind of thing. So we, those went forward anyway. We had a couple that kind of went on pause just for a month or so. Um, but for the most part, honestly, I think it's because we probably have gone through what a lot of other designers have gone through, which is that their clients all um, were staying at home. And so therefore all the things that they had wanted to do just exploded. They wanted to do even more, you know? And so it's like, you know, we're building house but well maybe we should also consider this and what about this and what about this because they just they were just realizing the importance of their home and like you said like maybe they had never really spent that much time there before and now that they're home all day and this room has to also be multifunctional for this and that and the other so we had clients building additional homes they had we had clients building on doing renovations we've had clients who moved who bought additional homes um, it hasn't slowed down. Our business hasn't slowed down. I will say our projects are taking a bit longer because of lead times from manufacturers and lead times from contractors. 
Um, but in general, they're, they're not taking longer. They're, they're pretty much just taking longer because of that. Um, the design aspect is what it is, but you know, in terms of actually getting everything into the house, that's taking a while. And permits are taking longer and everything that requires anybody else um, to do anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's really interesting too, because I wanted to talk to you about wearing these two hats simultaneously. Showroom owner, and I don't know, would you call your, your, your shop a showroom or would you, would you call it more it's of a It's really shop? more of a boutique shop. Boutique, we don't really yeah, carry much yeah. furniture. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the difference between owning a shop, running a shop where you have to order because you're helping designers and homeowners get what they want to finish their projects. And you're also a designer who's working with shop and showroom owners and, and managers trying to get what you need. And this this lead time drag has just been amazing. And I want your take on how, how you navigate this between the, you know, specifying product and then having to respecify because you're not going to get it delivered or because it fell off a ship or because yeah. it's sitting in the port or because yeah. you don't know where it is or because it hasn't been built or because they couldn't get the lumber or the foam to build it. I mean, so many things that have that have sort of cramped the style of both designers and the sh the shops and showrooms how have you how have you sort of navigated that terrain well what we found is that what we really like to do is be able to give our clients a really wonderful experience, not only with the design, but with the actual project management of it so that they don't have to worry about where things are, that we can give them that lovely reveal at the end and everybody's happy and they have the wonderful home and they didn't have to deal with it, you know, very much stress because we kind of took on, we took on all of that and managed the project for them. And we can't really do that um, because it's all out of our hands, you know, all these shipping times and things coming in damaged and all the rest of it. So we can, we we'll still manage it all, but we can't, we can't deliver in the same kind of time frame that we used to be able to. And so we literally the other day specified a bed, um, which, you know, when we went back to go and check on it again, check on the dates and the lead time, it suddenly was a year out. Um, they said that they couldn't deliver it till next June. It went from, you know, a few months to a year. And so we're having to just kind of figure out what else we can do. So in this case, we were able to say, you know what, we're going to go and find a local upholsterer to make this bed for us. And it's actually going to only take, you know, four months instead of a whole year. And it was right around the same price point. So we were okay. But, you know, it's just that resourcefulness of trying to figure out what else we can do. We also go into every single project now telling them, expect the worst <laughs> because a six month lead time is completely normal at this point. And there's no point in getting frustrated about any of these things. Like let's, we need to go into this with eyes wide open. This is how long it's going to take. It used to be, you know, average furniture is eight to 12 weeks. Now that's quick. That's like quick ship now. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, yeah. Or we say, look, if you really need it right now, then let's look for more vintage and antique pieces that are ready right now. I feel like we're on the precipice. We may even be in it of this new era of, and again, I kind of tie this back to this amazing, if you couldn't tell, I'm enamored with designers. I, I think I don't possess the skill to be one. So as a journalist and a contributing editor, this is how, how I sort of, you know, indulge myself. But um, I think we're in this era or about to be in this era where that's exactly what's going to be happening, where now you look for the local contacts 
to get get back to this idea, which you know, local workrooms were really popular for a while, mm -hmm. and and I think. Um, as things got so busy for people, the, the workrooms either got too busy and you couldn't get in anymore, or um, people went and took jobs in, in the industry because it was, it was better for them. But I feel like this idea of local workrooms to build from scratch and or to also take vintage pieces and reimagine them, which right. is going to open up a whole new world of design. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we've always loved vintage and antique pieces anyway. And, you know, it just makes even more sense, especially because then we can control it, then it's just about shipping time, which can still take, you know, some time. But we're not waiting on, um, you know, we're not waiting on strike offs or samples. And we're not waiting on the overall lead time for the piece to be made, which by the way, now every time we place an order, the manufacturers seem to just say, we'll let you know when it's ready. <laughs> There's no more lead time. It's just kind of like, you know, pay for it. And when it's ready, it's ready. <laughs> how does one, how does one work like that? With great difficulty. Yeah. It's difficult. It's difficult. Now, if, if we have a client that doesn't have anything, they have no furniture. So we, we would definitely be more responsible about that and say, okay, you know, are there pieces that we can bring from your current home? Are there pieces that we can bring in temporarily? Um, what can you actually live with? Um, we do have several clients for whom it's their second or third home. So maybe this home isn't necessarily someplace that they have to have furnished right away, or maybe they're just upgraded their, upgrading their furniture from what they currently have. So there's no reason not to just go ahead and keep that bed a little bit longer. And then when it comes in, it comes in. We try to remind our clients as well of what we remind ourselves, which is, you know, let's be grateful that we all can afford to do this, that we're all in the position to do this. We're all healthy. We're well, isn't yeah. this going to be beautiful when it's eventually done? And aren't we happy for that? <laughs> exactly. And with that, I kind of wanted to go to some of your projects um, and talk through them. I'm looking at your website and there are a couple of projects that, that, that strike me. And the, the first one I wanted to ask you about is the Osborne residence. The image that you have on there, it's, it's a bedroom. Yes. And what, first of all, what was this project? Was it a whole home? Was it a refresh? Was it selective rooms? What was this? So it was, um, this home is actually a local home for us um, in our town, which is wonderful. And um, it's a 1920s home. And it's, it's, uh, it was just a, it was, three bedrooms and three bathrooms that we worked on. So it wasn't the entire home. Um, it was a second and third floor renovation, essentially of, of, the, of the bedrooms and the, and the bathrooms. And so what we did for them, that bedroom specifically that we have, that we have there is the main picture is a little girl's bedroom. It's the one that we were probably the most sort of um, excited about because it was the one that seemed to be the most trouble when we first walked in because it's got these very very low um ceilings i mean it, it came down to 30 inches high off the ground the ceiling slanted that much and the little girls they were absolutely adorable but the one thing that they asked for was bunk beds and we were just like we can't do bunk beds in here it's just they're just not gonna fit and so 
um, you know, trying to figure out the design plan for that space to make sure that it still was fun and that they would still be really excited to have this new bedroom that they wanted to share, which they could have had separate bedrooms, but they chose to share a bedroom. And so we just wanted to make sure that it was going to feel as fun as what they were imagining bunk beds would feel like. And so we designed these foot to foot beds, which A, gave them tons of storage underneath with all those drawers. But it's really fun. They can just go and jump on those beds and roll all over the place. And they have like their little book ledge along one side. We even built in a little um, like cubby hole for them so that they could hide things in that little ledge behind um, to the side of them. And we did custom headboards and a built in window bench. But we tried to just really make it a fun place. When I was a kid, um, always going back to England, there was always fun little places to get into at my grandparents' house and at my family's houses where there was like little nooks and crannies and you know, where can you hide things and where can you hide? And so that was the idea with this room was to kind of create um, a fun place for them to be in. It's not just a box. It would never have been a box. <laughs> so seriously, you, you put the fun in functional. You really do. And <laughs> when I say that, I, I I'm, I'm not being light about it because as I look at this, and by the way, so if you're hearing this because it's a podcast and you're wondering, well, gosh, I'd like to see it, go to the show notes and I will put links to Laura's website so that you can go follow along. Here's, here's what I love about this. It looks to me like the only furnish, furnishings, you know, pillows aside from that, but really there's a table there's two stools, yes. th there's a carpet. Correct. <laughs> and everything else is, is built into this amazing and functional space. So you, you took the, the lowest ends and working with the angles, I mean, look, let's be honest, there's nothing you can do with that. It is what it is. You've got to figure right. out what you're going to do. And so you put the headboard there. So when the jumping is taking place, you've got all this space in the middle. So there are no concussions, but, <laughs> but, but you've, you've got what you, what you also did is you work this place into, you work this space into amazing zones. And the idea, the moment I looked at that and saw the two beds foot to foot, I, I knew exactly that is, that is a horizontal bunk bed. It's exactly what that is. Exactly. Yeah. And building in the bench uh, against the window. When I look at this image, it's like, it's always been there. Well, Just feels fair, there, was, there was a bench there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but, it, but what we did there was we, we, we made it more functional by, we added um, storage underneath. So you can lift up um, that bench. It's got like a piano hinge on it. So you can store things inside. We also had to reroute all the HVAC that was running along where the, where the beds are now. There was HVAC there because obviously there weren't beds there before. And so we had to reroute all that into the, we, we chose to put it into the window bench. And then we did shiplap that went up and over the top of the room. And then we had the, the HVAC grill across the front of the bench actually also kind of looks like shiplap. So you can't really even see the, the baseboard that's running across there, which is kind of fun. It's very cool. Um, the, the storage, was that there? Is that built in? Is it a slide in? I can't really tell. The bench? No, the storage, the um, the drawers. Oh, yeah, no, there was nothing there. There was nothing. Okay. Um, yeah, we built those those drawers in and they just roll out. Yeah. Love it. Absolutely love <laughs> it. Really do. Nice job. Um, 
from there over to the Green Branch residence. Yes. And you you put this stunning kitchen as the as the as the anchor image. That's your hero shot. And absolutely love this. Thank you. Um, again, very clean. It is a it is a very it's it's not overly large but it's extremely functional and you it's it's you know between the mixed metals and the you know all of the i'm looking at all of the the workable spaces in the kitchen so where did you start cuz the kitchen kitchens are a tough thing i mean those are a completely different animal this one was challenging also because um at the time the homeowners had three children they naturally now have four um and so that island really needed to be very very functional and so it was an it was an, an unusual layout for the kitchen and and previously there was a powder room that was eating up a decent amount of the space of the kitchen strangely so there was a wall that we ended up kind of like pushing the wall back so that we could add some more cabinetry into the kitchen so we stole some space from the powder room which was unnecessarily big added that into the kitchen so that we could have some more um space for you know a double wall oven and um and a, i'm sorry for the fridge area and so then and then the actual island itself was an unusual shape because it's sort of like um like on an angle a little bit which it kind of had to be because of the shape of the room but we softened it by having it all uh rounded and added mm. all those bar stools there so counter height stools rather so that it doesn't it sort of welcomes you into the room and it doesn't feel as angular as it was feeling um previously and then we lightened it all up because previously it was all very very dark um painted cabinets and um dark ceiling dark floor and so we just lightened it up significantly and added a lot of storage and a lot of um functionality um who did you specify tile appliances finishing pulls knobs who who is in like who are the brands yeah um their colour um colour did the sinks um their newport i think their newport brass uh plumbing fixtures all the cabinetry was actually made um by the, it happened to be that our client was actually a contractor and so hmm. he hired a local um cabinet maker to make all of the cabinetry for him it's a wolf range um i don't remember off the top of my head who the fridge was and it the looks like a, it looks it looks like a 48 yeah the countertops yeah uh yeah yeah exactly the um the countertops are silestone and the the tile cuz i love that backsplash i am a backsplash? huge fan of that white with that white oh. herring bone i'm a huge <laughs> fan of that awesome it's just a simple um i think 2 by 8 um just from our our local chesapeake tile is our local tile supplier and it's just one of their sort of standard 2 by 8 um white subway tiles and then i designed the hood and we had that made beautifully done i absolutely love that what's interesting too is the the rest of this house um you you went with some really cool pastels uh for example you know i'm going to guess i'm going to guess I I would this this office looks very feminine to me. Um and it doesn't mean it it can't be for a man. But the the manner in which you know between between the the chair and the that 
that sort of soft pink behind the shelves, it it really softened up the room. Right. What, who was the office for? Well, yes, without being too gender normative, uh, she does. It is it is for her. It is for the um, the homeowner, the wife. And to be fair, the way we went into this was with the mindset of giving her a space that was her own. So when they moved into this home, those shelves were all dark. It was all like green and, and woods. And it was very sort of heavy feeling, whether it's whoever it's for. It just kind of felt heavy and, and dark. And um, her husband and her three at the time, now four boys, um, are well, the bo- the boys are rambunctious and fun and you know it, but she is the only um i hate to be gender normative you know here but she is the only sort of feminine sort of vibe in the house you know although i think they actually just got a little dog it's a um, female dog but um <laughs> she uh um I, she is very much um, in tune with the feel of the space, let's put it that way. Like it speaks, it spoke to her to have a space that felt so um, feminine, if if we should use that word or not. I you know, know, the reason I think men can wear pink. I'm not saying that men can't wear pink, of course. No, and and I don't mean I don't mean that. Um, yeah. You know, pink is one of my favorite colors. Yeah. Both both pink and salmon, for that matter. But. <laughs> But I, I, here's why I, that struck me yeah. and why I, I felt it so important to mention, because I think it's really cool. I, I don't, I don't think, you know, design is so personal, right? Correct. And yeah. I don't that's, think. That's what it would, is personal to her. It makes sense for her. That is what she wanted was. Yeah. And, and I love. And, yeah. And I love the idea of, of crafting an, an office space for a woman because it's hers and she's the one who's going to be using it. I mean, look, let's be honest. You specify furnishings all the time. Office, even home office is, is all produced with a, with a masculine base. And, you know, you, you talk, I would love to take gender and, and race and age. Let's take everything out and make everything personal, (laughs) but the marketers would, would not be happy about this, (laughs) but, you know, I think it's really important to include personal details in design. And that's why when I saw that office, I felt like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, that's her office, but it felt feminine. Not that it was softer, not that it was less functional, not that it was anything other in a performative, from a performative standpoint, but that it felt like it would make someone more comfortable if they weren't a man, you know? And I think, I yeah. think that's important. And because of that, I feel like you, you actually nailed the space and it, I just, I, I love looking at it. It made me happy from the white desk and the pan <laughs> pastels. It's like, you know what, that is, that is great because the office, we spend so much time in the office. You look around your office. I look around my studio and we have to have the things around us that make us comfortable or we're not, we're not as, as, as successful. Right. When, if we had to go into somebody else's workspace, and I think this is what a lot of people are realizing now that they can't go to the office. But if you walk into the office in which most of the places work, they're not made for individuals. Right. They're, you know, a cubicle was not made for a person. 
right? A, a cubicle <laughs> is made for a barn animal. And yeah. that's how that's how workers feel sitting in this tight little cubby, you know? And that's why I feel like one of the wonderful things that have come out of the last 18 months is the fact that the design of a home office isn't just uh, a desk and a chair and the computer right. and a light, but it's like, this is now your personal space where you can actually be, be who you want to be. So well done. I think that was just really Thank cool. You. Thank you. From there in the last project I wanted to mention was the Summerlin residence because it is so vastly different from <laughs> some of the other projects that I've seen. Very sleek, very modern. Um, but I can still see the through lines and I can still see your work. And I was curious what you think of this project and, and sort of how you came, you came about it, especially with all that glass. And the, right. the views give you the ability that, you know, seeing through to other spaces, even a tree or something else really gave you an opportunity to, to do some more and different things with the design. Right. Yeah. So this project, um, we've actually worked on a, quite a few homes for this client. And this was certainly the most modern, um, you know, so it's all steel and glass, very linear. Um, but they have a lot of very important artwork. And of course, it's set in this gorgeous desert location. So for me, when I was looking at the space, I really just wanted to make sure that the architecture, the artwork and the landscape were the focal point. And so going with the low slung pieces, the neutral palette, um, the simple forms really allows those pieces to not be overshadowed by the interior design. I think one of the things that bothers me most when you have a beautifully um, designed home, you know, by, by an architect is, is when the interior design doesn't align with it and tries to sort of overpower it or tries to have its own personality separate from the house. And um, so in order to achieve that sense of, um, you know, friendship, if you will, between the interior and the exterior, the, the interior lines of the space and, and what, what the architect has really achieved, which is absolutely stunning. I mean, there's absolutely no reason to have to hide any of it. You know, there's nothing that we're trying to cover up. It's all beautiful and you want to showcase all of it. So, um, and again, the exterior, the, the landscape is just so pretty as well. It's right there in the desert. So. Um, yeah, it was really what not to do, um, <laughs> which was like, what can we do that highlights what's there, that accentuates what's there, and that still feels warm and welcoming, that it still feels like a place that you'd want to visit, but that you really still are paying attention to the architecture. And it just, it, I wanted it to feel right. I wanted you to walk in and say, yes, this is, this is how the interior should look from having been outside. This is, it, it feels the same inside as outside. And really, you know, you talked about the design being friends with the architecture. I, I love that. I'm going to use that <laughs> over and over and over again, because that is one of the things where it's, you're, you're so right. And it's so important because when you get an arc, you know, an architect sort of envisions this, this dwelling, this structure, and then you have a designer who comes in who understands you know, why, and that's, I love that. Clearly you understood what the architect was looking for and by sort of tying in that focal point with the, with the art and then making the triangles between the architecture, the art and the design, you wind up with something that is so compatible and so cohesive that 
Yeah, it's a modern steel and glass, sleek, yet welcoming and comfortable space. And those those two ideas are not always seen. Right, because it does have tile floors throughout. So there's, there's not a soft surface to be seen. In fact, somehow the wood is sort of the softest thing that you see because it's steel, glass, tile, and wood. Um, and then suddenly somehow the wood surface is like the texture. The wood is like the softness and the warmth, you know? I love it. I love it. Very cool. Um, and that is a that is a great place for us to to wrap this up. Laura, this was this was so much fun. I really appreciate the time and I love the conversation. It was wonderful to chat with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. Not much makes me happier than deep dives like this. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for presenting Convo by Design. Thank you, Thermosol, Article, York Wall Coverings, and Franz Wigner for your partnership. You are remarkable partners and amazing allies for the trade. And thank you for listening. Remember why you do what you do and that the business of design is about making better the lives of those we serve. Until next week, be well and take today first. 